Hello and welcome to the Flex. I'm Matt St. G here alongside Joe Howie, as always, coming at you after a Friars 100 to 76 win over Stonehill. Ed Cooley's alma mater. The Friars now 3 0 on the season. They're going to head to Mohegan Sun this weekend for uh, a little tournament. One of these little early season tournaments. This is the first real game. But I have to say, I'm happy with where the Friars are at through three games relative to how they looked at points during the Ryder game. I would have to agree with you, Matt. Um, Full transparency for everybody listening. I had a 4.30 meeting put on my calendar (laughs) at work today that went till 5.36. So I joined joined the the Providence watch party a little late, um, about roughly less than five minutes left in the first half. So, I joined while I was watching a, a, a 15 point lead dwindle. Um, so my outlook on this game is a little bit different, but nonetheless, I'm happy with the win. Um, I think going into this tournament three and oh, it is huge for us because you have the potential to come out of the weekend with a, uh, an over with a, a winning record is yeah. the takeaway. Yeah. I think the first thing that jumps out when you look at this box score and you look at the way that game was played we were very anxious what the front court was going to look like with no Nate Watson and no Noah Horkler this year. And Ed Croswell, Bryce Hopkins, Clifton Moore, 16 points apiece in this one. Eight rebounds each for Moore and for Hopkins, nine there for Croswell. I think the three of them were as good as you could have expected. And then you got more with that three there at the end to hit 100 and the, uh, the amp going wild. A couple of my uh, a couple of my buddies from school, Matt, you know Berkeley, Andrew, Zach. They uh they took Providence plus twenty three and a half because the the spread was twenty four. So they were uh, especially pleased when Clifton Moore pulled up from three. Um, <laughs> Providence covering the spread exactly at a twenty four point victory. Yeah, that was uh, I was that was a nice little moment there at the end to have that too. I don't. I don't remember off the top of my head the last time they hit a hundred. I don't think they did it last season. No, they did not do it last season. I think the last time in recent memory is the home opener against Sacred Heart during the 2019, 2020 season. That was 106. Exactly 106 to 60 was the final in that one. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's um what did you what did you think? Let's start with Bryce Hopkins, since he's kind of the top guy here. What did you think about the game he had today? I thought he was pretty good. Um, he looked good from the free throw line. Um, 16 points, eight rebounds is good. What bothered me, and this is going to be a little bit more of a pessimistic approach, is I think in the second half, he knew he was getting called for a couple of ticky-tack fouls early on. And then I watched his defense become a little lazy. Um, and listen, when you're when you have when the refs are blowing the whistle and you know you're a physical guy in the paint. That's to be expected, but even the, the broadcasters, and I think they were exaggerating a little bit, were saying that you know Hopkins didn't look to be hustling all too much on defense, especially late in the second half. I think offensively, you know, he was on, he was scoring in the paint. I think that was all good and well. Defensively, you know, I think the fouls got to his head a little bit. Yeah, I think that was absolutely the case. I think the biggest question with his game right now was physicality. When it comes to at least his interior game and just kind of being consistent there, 
I said this last time too. My bet is that comes with experience. So hopefully, I, they put the starters back in there at the end, and I think you saw some physicality from Hopkins in that stretch. You saw some down the stretch. I think he's just he's figuring out how to throw his body around against some of these guys. Yeah, and uh, you know, part of it is you can't really blame him. He didn't. He averaged six minutes a game at Kentucky. That's not a ton of time to get in and, and be necessarily physical. So. To be fair, this is his first experience with that role. I think as you know, the schedule continues to progress and we get closer to conference play, you're going to see him and you're going to see an uptick in his physicality. I think this weekend, you know, he's really going to have to turn it on and take advantage, especially of Miami. But uh, I, I think it'll change. This is again his third performance where he's played more than 17 minutes. I think that was his season high in minutes last year. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, he's. He's the leading minutes guy on this team. And I think, I mean, you see why he hit free throws today too. Mm -hmm. Perfect from the stripe. I thought that was huge. That might've been the biggest area of improvement here. That's the difference between this and the Ryder game is just hitting those looks. I I think Matt, I'm looking now. I know off the top of my head, we missed 17 against Ryder. I think we missed five against Northeastern and we went 18 of 21 tonight from the stripe. So that's something that has like gone trajectory straight up um that's yeah. i wouldn't be surprised if, if they're in that ruin fryer development until all wee hours of the night just shooting free throws at all the at all the baskets i hope they are it's sh- if they have been it's been shown well and shooting is something that comes with experience and, and comfort comfort's probably the big one confidence just being able to play your game and that happens at the free throw line too so I don't think it's a surprise. Like I thought, I thought the ball movement for ninety percent of the game today was fantastic, and I don't think it's a surprise that if you're passing into good looks and then getting hammered, you're going to be a little bit more confident. You're going to feel good about it. You're going to go to the stripe and you're going to hit the shots. It wasn't like Ryder where things were a little bit clunky and outside. There were some stretches where the ball was getting stuck. The announcers were really pointing it out when that happened. Yeah. Um, but by and large, I think that's that might be the most notable thing about this team. I think this team is better at moving the ball from all five spots on the floor than last year's team was. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, you know, one of the takeaways that we've had so far this season is that this team is very athletic. And I think that goes hand in hand with ball movement. You know, you're not necessarily stagnant in the paint. You know, you're you've got guys like Moore and Croswell who are, are not necessarily stretching the floor, but they're moving out of their comfort zone a little bit. And I think that helps with ball movement, too. Yeah, they're not locked on the block like Nate Watson was at right. points. You could tell the offense is different. And they're running some of the stuff they ran for Nate Watson for Clifton oh, yeah. Moore, which I thought was really interesting to see him. I think Croswell kind of has his own package. It, he doesn't post up as much. He's better as an offensive rebounder. Yeah, I, I'm going to steal this from um, my good friend Terry Sullivan. But, you know, Croswell is good in tight spaces under the rim. You know, he'll get the ball, he'll grab a rebound, power dribble, and finesse his way up. Whereas, you know, Nate Watson would just back people down, reverse hook. And I think you see a little bit of that with Clifton Moore, too. He likes to put up the little hook shots, but he's also a different style of player than Nate Watson, which is what we're so accustomed to. So it's it's interesting to see the way that him and Croswell kind of ebb and flow with their different styles. I think it definitely keeps opponent paint defenses on their toes when you've got those two differing styles of offense from the two of them down there. Um, but yeah, I mean, Croswell definitely plays a little bit of a smaller finesse game than Clifton Moore, who's just, you know, a, a, a tall beast. 
Yeah. Well, I think it makes it interesting that especially when it was against the zone defense, they had more at the four Croswell at the five because yep. more can pop out and shoot the ball. Yep. So it's it's an interesting height dynamic. It does it does not go in order like it would for some teams. No, you would think that that you know with Croswell's height disadvantage versus Clifton Moore, Clifton Moore would be down at the five, but no, they had him at the power forward spot, which is definitely interesting. Yeah. Moore also added three blocks today. I mean, his his defense has been as advertised. So the fact that he can give you this much on offense too is such a bonus. Yeah, I've been, you know, I, I've written about this in my all my pieces for Road to the Garden. This is something that I've been talking about in a lot of my Friar group chats, but I am very pleased with Clifton Moore. Like this was this was like a nice surprise. Like we you know, you Hopkins came in, you know, highly advertised. Noah Locke came in highly advertised. Devin Carter came in highly advertised. Corey Floyd came in and it was like, oh, we're stealing from UConn. And then it's like, all right, we got Clifton Moore. He was a solid guy at, at LaSalle. And yeah. he's been playing really well above expectation level. Yeah. That's, and that's like we said last time. I think there's an argument for him to be in the starting lineup. And however you break it down, he's going to be in the top seven or eight. Like that's, and it yeah. was, I think, I think the idea was, all right, he's solid. And if Rafael Castro isn't ready to go, you got a nice backup there. And that's, yeah, no, he's just a good player, which I think Castro, he is, he is an adventure when he's on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Rafael Castro is like when you have a puppy and the puppy is in that like three month old stage where it's not like the cute little ball puppy anymore. And its legs look really long and it's in that lanky toddler phase and you let the puppy out in the backyard and it just starts galloping around <laughs> everywhere. I, that's what I think of when Rafael Castro comes out on the floor. Like it, it's, he's still a good player. He just, he looks like a puppy. Yeah, he does. And it's the talent really, really pops off. I mean, it's not, he, he lost that ball up over the, the rim or whatever it was on the fast break, but he, he makes a steal and he gets out in the fast break like he's a guard. Yeah. Like it's it's incredible. And we saw that in the exhibitions too. It was nice to see that in a real game. Obviously yep. didn't finish, and that's part of this. He's incredibly raw. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. It's just if he it, it let's see how he looks by the end of the year. Let's see how he looks next year. Because if the yep. if the switch flips for him and all it all comes together, he has an incredibly high ceiling. He can be one of the best players in the conference. Uh, he's going to develop a lot this season, I think. Um, yep. And he still has a couple of years left of eligibility because he was a red shirt. So that's this extremely promising. Year. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the, the worst stretches the team had was when they had Ed Castro, Pierre, and Floyd all out there all of whom were in their first year actually playing games. They had Hopkins out there, who obviously is really in his first year getting real minutes. First year as a starter, and then Bynum. But the other four were very inexperienced, and I think you could see that on the defensive end when Stonehill started to make a run. Yeah, and you knew what Ed Cooley was doing there. I think this was one of those games where you know, you build up that 15 to 20-point lead, and and you look at the way that your opponent is playing, and you kind of build up that understanding like, okay, we're going to win this by how many, I don't know, but this is a great opportunity before a weekend where they're not really going to play to get your freshmen in the game, to get your younger guys in the game. Because I can tell you right now against Miami and then against either Maryland or St. Louis, those guys aren't getting that type of run and we're not going to see that type of lineup on the floor. 
if they're getting in there, it's probably because something went horrifically wrong and you're down. That yeah. is the more likely thing. Right. Let's let's talk about these guards. And you want to talk about youth. Jaden Pierre. This kid. I mean, we heard Ed Cooley talking about him. I think cool. He's going to be a, a household name in all of college basketball. You could see why he had, uh, I believe, yeah, he had more points than Bynum did. Mm-hmm. He had same number of assists. Mm-hmm. He was two for two from deep. Mm-hmm. That's the only one rebound, but he's a point guard. I don't really care about that. Only the one, one turnover. Yeah, two steals. Uh, this is Pierre was doing it all. Like it's he's not going to start this year, but there's an argument for it, which is crazy at this point. He's he's in the rotation. No, I mean, there was a lot of preseason hype about Pierre, and through the first two games, you know, you saw those flashes of athleticism. I think he had a steal and dunk against Northeastern. You saw flashes of, of what was promised in the preseason, and now tonight we got to see it unfold. Um, I think he has tremendous upside. I think, like you said, Matt, he's going to be a household name in the Big East in the upcoming years. I liked that they gave him a lot of run tonight. Um, comparatively to the other freshmen, he had a little bit more of a leash. I think he played 25 minutes. Is that, yep. That's what I'm seeing yep. correctly. 25. Yeah. Same 20... playing time as Bynum. Yeah. I, and on the on the flip side of things, Bynum didn't have one of his better nights tonight. You know, of the three games, he, he had his second best night or second worst night, however you want to pin it. It's the middle um, one. It's the middle yeah. child. It's the hump or the the valley, whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, the inverse of that is, all right, Pierre played well and he put up some numbers and showed flashes of some significant athleticism. So if the trade-off is, okay, Bynum has a sheepish night, I think that's okay. Yeah. And I think what it tells you, this guard group is incredibly deep, which it needs to be. They're starting three guards right now. At least five guards are going to get real playing time because yeah. of that. And they got five guards that I feel good with on the floor right now. And that's obviously Bynum, Carter, and Locke as your starters mm-hmm. at the moment. Pierre and Alan Breed coming off the bench. But I think Breed is solid. He's he's averaging one field goal attempt per game. So he's not really giving you anything on offense. But he's a good facilitator. He passes the ball well. He'll try to set things up. And obviously, he's also good on the defensive end. You know who Breed reminds me of? Is it Drew Edwards? Yes, it is. The defensively savvy guard that, you know, can shoot and score if he wants to, but doesn't necessarily need to. But he's also one of those foundational staple pieces that you need on the roster because unlike uh, the the Makai Ashton Langfords of the world, when Alan Breed comes in, I'm not sweating. I'm not necessarily sweating. I know you're going to get, you know, consistent level-headed play from him. And if he goes to the stripe, I know he's going to sink him. I know he's good for a couple of three-point attempts. He's just a solid all-around player, and he's the exact type of person that you want coming off your bench. And he he's exactly what you said. He's steady, and that is incredibly yeah. important with a team that is a little bit inexperienced and trying to figure itself out still. If he's, if he's your floor at the guard position and he's only going to play 15 minutes a night, you're in a really, really good spot. Exactly. Yeah, I, I also, I mean, I like what we're seeing from Bynum here, too, even though it, his shots aren't really falling right now. He hasn't hit a rhythm there and it doesn't doesn't matter. Like he's yeah. dishing the ball well. He's setting things up. He's moving it. I think he forced a couple of looks at one point when they were trying to make a run. Yeah. Other than that, I like everything he did tonight. 
He's, um, I think, second in the Big East, second or third in the Big East in assists per game coming into this. It's going to dip a little bit because he only had four tonight, but he's at 18 assists now on the season through three games. Six assists per game. If you can keep that up through conference play, that's going to lead the conference. So, yeah. I, I think you're right. You know, I, I don't I'm not necessarily disappointed in Bynum tonight. What I will say is that if we had, you know, prime Bynum tonight, this is a 30 plus point blowout. I think yeah. that is the difference. Um, not to say that I'm disappointed in a 24 point blowout. That's fine, too. But I think, you know, you get prime Bynum, you get him in double figures flirting with a double double eight, nine assists. I think that's when this team takes it to the next level and you blow out. A, a Stonehill squad by 30 plus. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's, he has that, like there were some moments yeah. where it was the end of the shot clock and he gave you a shot tonight. Yeah. And I think that's important. This, what I liked on the offensive end is that this seems to be this evolution of the Ed Cooley offense mm-hmm. where they have a couple big men that can do stuff and they can go to those heavy post actions where they're just going to get the ball in. They're going to get, Somebody post it up, get it down low. They're going to work that. The Nate Watson stuff we saw. And they have the guards that can give you the Kyron Cartwright or the Lawan Pipkins effect where it's late in the shot clock and you need somebody yep. to create. They have that. They got yep. Noah Locke who can knock down shots. He was, I think, four of six. Yeah, four of six from deep today. There, There's more variety in this offense than I have seen in a while and it, it's like this is like the opposite of the 2018-19 team. There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen at guard, but all of them move the ball pretty well. All of them set up for people. These guys can pretty much all score too and create looks for themselves. Obviously, we'll see if that's still the case against a better opponent on Saturday. But if the, if these guys are able to keep playing like this, this might be the best Ed Cooley offense we have seen. Uh, I think you're exactly right, Matt. And something that we talked about in our you know preseason review of the Friars is what are we going to do with all this depth at in the backcourt you know we we I made the joke that we have like 25 guards one power forward and three centers i think you know what we're seeing and what we've seen through you know this first week and a day of providence basketball is ed cooley is seriously trying to juggle the rotation here and i think so far offensively it's been working um you know, you've got Bynum as the clear-cut floor general, Locke as your two, Carter as that stretch three. But I think the replacements that you're getting off the bench are really good in Pierre and uh, Breed. I think, you know, Floyd will get his time. Um, we saw him. He had three tonight. But I, I think we have a really good roster of guards here. And I'm interested to see, you know, the way the rotation levels out and shakes out as we get to conference play. As we get to February, March, those like those real determ those real determining months where you, you're like, okay, these are the eight or nine guys. Yeah, and I think part of what we saw tonight too. I think you have the rotation down a little bit. I think you kind of have your guys. I think Floyd and Castro are going to be the odd man out here. Yeah. So I think that if, I, if my math is right, that leaves you with eight: Lot Carter, Hopkins, Bynum, Croswell as the starters, Breed, Pierre, and Moore off the bench. Yeah, those are those are your guys. Castro, if you need another big man, which I don't think you necessarily need. Floyd, if you need another guard, Floyd's going to be the price and good eye of this team. That's right now. that's exactly what I said during the game when he hit that yeah. three. I said he's the new price and good eye. Yeah, which he's he's a freshman. Like he hasn't done this before. So, right. and it's 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 ironic 
Corey Floyd and Rafael Castro are both redshirt freshmen. So essentially, you're basically starting from scratch with them. They're going to serve that traditional freshman role where, you know, if you ride the bench a little bit, you ride the bench, but you have your eligibility left. Mm hmm. Yeah, and there's going to be spots opening in this lineup in the future. There's yeah. a lot of veterans in there. The guys that are playing, I mean, what, Croswell, Bynum, Locke, Moore, those guys are, I think, all not here next year. Yeah. And if that's the case, all right, now there's going to be minutes to go around. You're going to sit, you're going to learn, you're going to be in a good spot, you're going to get some minutes, and the coach likes you, you're going to be on the team the next year with some experience. Exactly. But yeah, they're, they're in a good spot. I think it's good, too, that, I mean, we're three games in, and I think we know the rotation. The exact minutes and spread within it is still to be determined, and that's always going to change game by game to an extent. But there, we've been later in the non-conference schedule with teams that we thought we knew the rotation, and what you still don't have it figured out. I'm going to knock on wood here because I think that's an, a, a fantastic point that you just made, and I absolutely agree with it. I mean, even if you look at last season, you didn't have that starting five, that Durham, Reeves, Manaya, Horkler, Watson. You didn't have that really ironed out until conference play because mm -hmm. for a majority of non-conference, it was Bynum, uh, Durham, Reeves, Horkler, Watson. Bynum gets hurt. Manaya moves into the lineup. Then Reeves gets hurt and Breed gets moved into the lineup. You didn't have that core five until really after the that Marquette loss. And then once... Mm -hmm. Once you move past that point in the season, that's when you had your guys. So I think it's super important that this is ironed out now, like you said. And I think we're really fortunate as, you know, a program and as a team that this is the point that we're at where it's starting to the pieces are starting to settle. And it couldn't happen at a more perfect time in the season because now the the there's a couple of bunnies left on the non-conference slate. But this is where the the, the competition starts to pick up a level. You're not playing the Stone Hills and the Northeasterns anymore. Yep. And now, now you go play real opponents with the group that you you kind of know is yours, which yeah. is, I mean, it's, this is where you want to be. That is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, I do. I think we do have to touch on the defense a little bit. Mm -hmm. If there's if there's one negative takeaway from this, it's got to be the defense. <laughs> yep. Um, it, it's yeah. just it's the three point defense. That, that's really it right there. This team has given up 28 threes for through the first three games. Again, against a Stonehill, against a Northeastern, against a Ryder, you can just barely scratch by. I will say, Ryder is currently number one in the country in three-point shooting percentage. Obviously, that includes the Providence game, but if that makes anybody feel better. Okay, that's – okay, fine. I uh, will – We'll put an asterisk next to Ryder. I know everyone in yeah. the Big East loves to talk about asterisks now. <laughs> if, if you're going to give up the combined 19 threes to Northeastern and Ryder, you have to, or not Ryder, excuse me, Northeastern and Stonehill, you got to be prepared that when you do that to, or if you do that to Creighton or UConn or Villanova or Marquette or anybody in the Big East, that you're going to have either a severe shootout or a severe blowout on your hands where you're on well, maybe the, not. Maybe not Villanova, the way they shot the ball against Delaware State. But no, yeah, everybody else on that list. <laughs> Maybe not Villanova. They're, unless Chris Archidiakono learns how to shoot threes all of a sudden. But yeah. maybe not them, but it, any other of the teams in the conference, um, yeah, you're going to sure find yourself on the wrong end of a blowout. Yeah, and it's not 
Like, it is an awful defense. They're just still figuring out the rotations, and it's when there's a when somebody gets beaten on a drive and they kick the ball back out, the rotations to make sure everybody's got a guy on the on the three point line are just too slow right now. Yeah. Which is more than fixable. Like that's this isn't a huge ask for them to fix it. It's not like they're gonna be they shouldn't be stuck like this all season. No, and it looks it looks like exactly that. Uh, you know, we saw some of this actually with Justin Manaya early on last season too, where he had trouble communicating on who he was supposed to, you know, pop out on. So I think this is normal for a team at this stage in its development. Um, what worries me though is that this is it's consistent. You know, it's not showing any signs of going away. In fact, we let up more threes tonight than we did through the first two games. So it's definitely cause for concern. What it almost reminds me of, not the three-point shooting, but the lackluster defense as a whole, what the lackluster defense reminds me of is this 2020-2021 team where there was a lot of raw offensive talent, but the defense just wasn't there. Now, mind you, that team had some serious rebounding problems, and until Horkler turned it on, there was a serious hole at the four spot. So thankfully, we're not in that predicament again. But I think if you look at defense as a whole, this team is showing me signs of, okay, you know, we're not really there yet, but although Ed Cooley teams are supposed to be there with defense. Yeah. Well, and it's, I think the thing that makes me feel good about it is that no one player stands out on defense, except maybe Castro at times, mm-hmm. but nobody stands out in a bad way. It's all just like individuals who missing assignments at points, but they're all, they can all stay in front of a guy most of the time. They can all yeah. play good one-on-one defense most of the time. Pierre and Carter can get steals. I think I think part of this too is Pierre and Carter um, are both kind of aggressive at going at the ball. Yeah, and you're gonna you're gonna get caught with your your hand in the cookie jar sometimes. Like it's <laughs> if you if you can get some of those fast break slams, if you can get three or four of those a game, I'll gladly trade off with one or two buckets the other way that happened because of it. Just no, gotta make sure not more than one or two. And I, I think that's a good caveat here. I, I, you know, team defense is what I'm referencing. I think individual defenses has have been impressive. You know, you talk about uh, Devin Carter, you talk about Pierre, you talk about Clifton Moore. Like they've shown athleticism and an ability to guard the ball. So I think individually the, the pieces are there. I think it's just grouping it together as a team. Yep, and that's they're going to play a lot more basketball together this year, and they're going to play yeah. a lot in practice. I imagine Cooley's going to dial up a couple drills there to yeah. get people going and get people out along the perimeter. I know they have some drills for that stuff. So I'm sure they're going to figure that out at some point. I don't know how well, it, I don't know how fully it's going to be figured out by the end of the season. Sometimes it's just an issue, but if they could get to an average or a decent mark with perimeter defense, that's probably all they need to be. If the rest of the team can show up like it did today. Now, obviously the next question is, can they do all of this when they're facing a good team? Stonehill is bad. Stonehill is the worst <laughs> of the three teams that they've played so far. How they look against a real opponent? We're going to find out on Saturday. Yeah, and I think what's a little bit concerning to me too is this is a Stonehill team that is the worst of our opponents, and we gave up the most defensively to them. Mm-hmm. Um, mind you, we also scored the most offensively, so there's a little bit of, a, of an imbalance there, but... This Saturday, we play Miami. Um, Miami was receiving votes this week in the AP Top 25 poll. They play tonight. They're currently 2-0. and 
and Matt, we talked about this before we went live, is they have some pretty good guards. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They got three of them there. There's there's the two big names. That's what really matters here. It's Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack. Wong was instrumental in getting them to the Elite Eight last year, where they also lost to Kansas. This <laughs> this could have been this could have been an Elite Eight matchup. It could have about it that. really could have. It, it almost was. And then Nigel Pack got a pack from Miami. It all that money, all that NIL deal Come to on. go to Kansas State. <laughs> Come from, on. From, from Manhattan, Kansas, down to South Beach there. So, uh, I mean, those two guys are good, both averaging, I think, 15 points a game right now. There's going to be a guard battle, and I'm so excited to see this. It'll be probably the biggest test so far of how Bynum and Locke can do on defense. If there's if there's any individual points that are going to have issues on defense, it's those two. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think expect uh, Devin Carter to be – to earn the defensive assignment of Nigel Pack or Isaiah Wong uh, mm-hmm. just after what we saw against Ryder where they've switched him onto Dwight Murray Jr. I think whoever we deem is the problem in Miami between the two of those guards is going to find themselves a uh, test with Devin Carter. Um, what I find interesting in favor of Providence, though, in this game is paint play. If Miami is, a, you know, a guard-heavy team, um, you know, why not let uh, – Croswell and Clifton Moore eat in the paint and Bryce Hopkins too, for that matter. Let the big guys go to work. I mean, they yeah. did it just fine tonight. You know, I'd like to see a replication of that against a, a, a guard savvy Miami team. You know, they want to beat us on the bounce. We'll beat them in the paint. Yeah. This is a Miami team that actually um, 52.6% of their attempts this season. And this is, this is Tuesday night before their game. So we'll see if that changes. But 52.6% of their field goal attempts are from deep. That is the 12th highest mark in college basketball. And then opponents, 52.7% of opponents' shots are from deep, which also could be because of the teams they're playing, which is 351st, one of the lower ranks. So it's it's an incredibly high amount. So when Miami plays, it's a lot of three ball. I can't imagine Providence is going to want to get into a game like that. No, uh, Miami also gives up a ton of assists, like 75% of the baskets they give up have an assist on them. So this could be, this is probably a big Jared Bynum game and potentially a big Jaden Pierre game, I think, since he can give you that defense and shooting at the same time in a way maybe Devin Carter can't. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting point about the assists there. I know against Northeastern, it was 18 assists on 34 made field goals. That might be off by a field goal or two, but Tonight's game was 16 assists on 36 field goals. And mind you, that's with Bynum only dishing out four. So I think you're right, Matt. If you get Bynum in a groove where he he's finding people left and right, you know, that could be a difference maker for us. And I think, you know, his playmaking ability, Jaden Pierre's playmaking ability, if you can find Locke on the wing, if you can, you know, get Locke hitting and then open up the paint down low, I think the playmaking of Bynum is going to be super important. The way he pushes the ball and gets defenses to follow. Yeah. And the other part of this too, the Friars have just been so good this year at getting to the free throw line. I think that is largely because of how good the offense has been at moving the ball. This mm-hmm. isn't this isn't like Al Durham last year where you just give him the ball, <laughs> go to the rim, he'll sell the contact a little bit and get there. It's yeah. They they got a lot of guys that'll get down there and they're going against teams that probably aren't as good on defense, so they're able to just take advantage of that. I mean, they're averaging like 
20 something, I don't know, high 20s, I think, in free throw attempts per game right now. So Miami's defense hasn't really had issues with that, but people have been attacking them on the outside. So we'll, I mean, it's, if you're, if you're getting attacked on the outside, the, the free throw number is going to look a little bit weird. They haven't played a team that's tried to go inside on them yet. So I think yeah. we're going to find out exactly what that looks like. That could be another way they could try to win this one. And maybe, just maybe, you can get some of those guards in Miami fouled out of the game or get them in foul trouble early. Hey, now. If there's anything that Ed Cooley is good at, it's getting uh, opposing guards into foul trouble. Yeah. That'll be the goal in that one. That game is at 4 o'clock. On Saturday, it'll be on ESPN News. How to end it up as an ESPN News game? <laughs> this is wow. this is the best time of year where you have all these Thanksgiving week or weekend before Thanksgiving tournaments, and you just run out of broadcast stations to air them on. So oh, you know yeah. you, you get ESPN News with the with the coverage. That's just oh, fantastic. Yeah. I was I was working on a graphic earlier for Road to the Garden for the schedule next week, and I'm trying to figure out who's okay. broadcasting all of this. And it's like, especially when you get to like day three of the tournaments, like it could be on ESPN, ESPN two, ESPN three, ESPN News, or ESPN U, depending on what happens. <laughs> there's one where can end up on ABC, like, and there's there. I think the I think next Sunday, Sunday after Thanksgiving is a day with four championship games and it's just like all of them are going to be on espn networks who knows which ones <laughs> i don't know i don't know if you remember last year's you know thanksgiving espn tournament that the friars played in in newark but um <laughs> that one was on espn plus so i, I coughed up the, that subscription i coughed up the seven dollars and then did not cancel my subscription until this may um but the first like third I forget how how long it was. The first couple of minutes of that game had no commentary. It was just no. you could just hear the sounds in the gym, and you could tell that they were having some broadcast hiccups with that. Especially, I'm sure with the streaming. But that that's I think a, a microcosm of what what the broadcast schedule is like for the upcoming week. Yeah, that's what it looks like. So the Friars play on Saturday. They'll play on Sunday as well. It'll either be one or three thirty. I, th- I think the championship game is the earlier of the two, if I'm remembering it correctly. Is. Yeah. So then that'll be against either St. Louis or Maryland. Kevin Willard, baby. Yeah. St. Louis is a team they beat in a, what was then the 2K Classic Championship. Is that the Empire Classic? I believe. That was the 2K uh, Classic at MSG 2017. I was at that game. Yeah. The 2017-18 season. The Friars beat the crap out of the Billikens, 90 to 63 for that championship. Uh, And then obviously you got Maryland there with Kevin Willard. These are, these are two teams that are well, highly regarded this year, Mm -hmm. expected to do well. Uh, I I don't know how much Ken Palm means at this point in the season, but it does give you an idea of preseason expectations. Miami's at 42. Currently St. Louis is at 37. Maryland is at 47. These are all teams all teams that should be expected to be somewhere in that seven to 10 range in the NCAA tournament. So Friars are probably in that range right now too. So, so Ken Palm (laughs) has us as the worst team in this tournament. Yeah, it has for a while. And to be fair, I get it. This is the St. Louis team that has been up and coming for a little bit. A Miami team that did one round better than Providence last year and brought in a big name talent. Probably the one transfer that came into Miami is probably at least more highly regarded than any of the five that came in to Providence. And then Maryland, Kevin Willard, I mean, he's already had a huge impact there. And that's 
I mean, Maryland's just kind of a, a hotbed. That's a really, really good program. That's one of those teams where in a bad year, they shouldn't drop out of the tournament just with where that program is located and the way you can recruit in that area, the money that they have. So it's, it, I don't think Miami and Maryland being good shouldn't be a surprise. They just happen to get St. Louis in a year where they're really good. So you put it all together and you, I think you could rank these teams in any order. Yeah. There's I no, think, no, yeah. I think that's fair. <clears throat> I yeah. totally think that's fair. Yeah. So the game will be one or three thirty on Sunday. This is a heads up to the Patriots and Jets fans. Pat's Jets is this weekend one o'clock on Sunday. That's a huge game between two teams over five hundred. The the Providence game, no matter what, is going to interfere with that. There's going to be overlap. <laughs> so make sure you have two screens so you can watch both. I got a, a dual screen set up right here. I'm going to be watching right at my desk. I don't know, did the Giants play this weekend? Uh, yes, they do. They play at one p.m. So, so there's overlap with the Giants as well. I, I was just I was just typing that in as you asked me that. <gasps> yeah. So you're gonna wanna keep keep your head on a swivel this weekend. <laughs> yeah. I, I will be at Mohegan Sun for both of the games. So pray for my phone battery as I, I try to I try to watch both games at the same time. And charge them. You got a portable charger? Uh, I, I have two. Okay, yeah. Charge this. <laughs> and pray for my wallet too, as I'm at Mohegan Sun. Yeah, if we uh, if we don't hear from Joe on on Sunday, it might might be because of a long long Saturday night. <laughs> if the, if the night even ends, if it doesn't if it doesn't just continue into Sunday morning. Yeah, one continuous blur. The last time the Friars were there was back in uh, 2018. This yeah. was uh, that was when they played South Carolina. Jimmy Nichols actually had a really good game. That was his first career start. That was. And then they, they played Michigan, and, and they that got was smacked uh, around. And that, well, I think that was the Michigan team that went to the championship and lost to Villanova, if I'm no, remembering I think, correctly. I think that was the spring leading into that. That's the Michigan I, team that went to Villanova and put up 70 on them at the Finneran Pavilion. Okay, yeah. Either way, that was a good Michigan team. So it was no a really shame good in Michigan team. Yeah. Uh, if you, before we, we wrap up here, set expectations for this weekend. What's the bar that needs to be met for you to feel good? Obviously, win. You know, I, I, I think if you leave this weekend one and one, you leave this weekend on the right foot. I think if you leave zero and two, um, it's not the end of the world, but there's definitely some some questions. If you leave the weekend two and zero, I'm gonna be ecstatic. I think the if I'm gonna set the bar, compete against Miami. You know, don't get blown out, and then depending on what happens, you either beat the team the next day or you compete again. Um, uh, even if you lose both games, I think the, the, the differential in the loss, like if you lose and it's like a buzzer beater, like you just, you tip your cap to the other team and, and you swallow your medicine. But if you lose and you get blown out, I think you have some serious defensive inefficiencies that you need to look in the mirror and face. Yeah. I, I would agree with all of that. I think this weekend is also even more important now that TCU is in absolute freefall. Yeah. These may be the only two quality games in the non-conference schedule now for the Friars. TCU, here's something for you. They started the year at 16 on Ken Palm. They're now at 58. They lost Wolf. to Northwestern State. 
the team that's 343 in Ken Palm. Oh, that's a really bad loss. That's They're terrible. down two guys. Like Damian Baugh and Mike Miles are out. I think both will be back by the time they play Providence. If I'm remembering Great. correctly, Baugh is suspended and Miles is hurt. Baugh is going to be back for the Providence game, and, and Miles, I think, was day-to-day anyway. I could be completely wrong on that. So if I am, I'll say something on Twitter about it, and I'll give you guys <laughs> an update. But that that's also down the road. But the Friars may get a TCU team that's <laughs> a lot better than the one that they that played last night. But yeah, I think you got to go make the, the best out of this weekend. Um, I don't know. I don't think we're doing – I could do an episode between now and Saturday. Probably do one Sunday night. Um, I think so. I think depending on when I get back. But yeah, we should be able to put one out Sunday. Yeah, I can get, get you guys a little content after that one talking about this. And we'll be heading to Thanksgiving week with two more very easy wins for the Friars. But for now, Providence is at 3-0. and it's always a good way to start the season, Joe. Always a good way to start the season. Yes, make it sure, is. Make sure follow us on Twitter. Subscribe wherever it is that you're listening to this. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Go Friars. Go Friars.